Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you um, here today. I am with a student of mine, uh, a wonderful young man named Stephen Danielson. Uh, Stephen, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's good to, good to have you here. Um, it was interesting, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I s just mentioned the podcast in class, and we were talking about some things uh, kind of related, and uh, Stephen raised his hand. He said, hey, have you ever thought about having students in that? And I said, yeah, of course. Are you interested? And he said, of course. Of course. <laughs> And, and it's been fun today as we've talked just a little bit before we hit record here. Uh, Stephen's uh, reason, I said, I said, so do you listen to a lot of podcasts? What do you do? Why, why are you interested in doing this? And his response was, I just love the scriptures. Yeah. My, my goal is actually to be an institute teacher myself. Perfect. And so, I mean, getting to talk about the scriptures, that's just something that I do a lot. I love that. I study a lot, or at least I try to. Yeah. And so this is just my favorite thing to do. I'm Really excited to be here. Uh, I love that. I love that you're that excited, and I love that you're here. Um, before we jump in, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter seven through the end of the book, right? Is that yep. chapter thirteen? And uh, before we get there, I, just tell us a little bit about you, Stephen. What what should we know? What uh, tell us about your family? What's going on in your life? Just yeah. what would you want us to know? Uh, well, um, I just moved over here recently from Washington State, yep. uh, from Olympia, Washington. My dad got a job over in Meridian. Uh, teaching high school choir. That's right. Uh, before that, I also recently got back from my mission. I served in the Colorado Fort Collins mission. Excellent. Uh, and so I finished in July of, well, July of 23, 23. and then moved about a week later after yeah. I got home, came <laughs> over here. So it's been fun getting to see a new area, meet yeah. new people, make yeah. new friends, and I'll be here until January when I go off to BYU-Idaho. Great. Great. Well, we're glad you're here. Did um, did you even get to report your mission back home? I did. I had <laughs> I had one Sunday between when I got home and when we moved, and I my mom made sure that that was the homecoming talk Sunday. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Well, welcome again, and it's good to have you. Um, we're going to just jump in today. Uh, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about the the confusion or question maybe about this book being written by Paul. And last week we covered chapters one through seven with Sister Harvey, and we didn't really touch on that, but but maybe just your thoughts. I know you've studied a little bit, uh, just maybe why is there a question or yeah. what's your thought there? Yeah, so a lot of people debate whether Hebrews was written by Paul or not. A big part of that uh, comes because of two things. First off, in all of his other epistles, he starts out by saying, hey, I'm Paul. Mm -hmm. Well, welcome to my little TED Talk. Right, yeah. uh, but in this one, he doesn't say that at all. He just jumps right into it, yeah. uh, which there's a variety of reasons for that. It's a much more serious subject, perhaps. Mm -hmm. sure. where he, has, he also has entirely different motives. The other epistles are all uh, sort of instructional epistles. Sure. Yeah. Uh, to He went to the 
different places on his missionary journeys and saw different things in the church that aren't going too well. And so he writes back and says, hey, this is the things that I saw that maybe need some correction. Yeah. These are the things you're doing well on. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what he's doing in Hebrews at all. Hebrews is entirely a persuasive letter. Yeah. Uh, talking to the Jews saying, Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. Uh, good, this good. is all my evidence for that. I love that. I love that. And, and because of that, there's... Uh, there's some questions as to whether this was Paul actually writing, but but it, I might I might point out that you know if a, if a living apostle today were to come to town to make some corrections, it would look very different than if a general conference talk was being given where he's generally teaching uh, about the gospel that in in a way that he understands it. So so maybe this is Paul uh, just in two different venues, right? Speaking yeah. to two different two, for, for two different purposes. Yeah. Um, we could see that not not even just with prophets. But in my own life, I don't talk to my dad the same way I would talk to my friends yeah. or my coworkers sure. or some random person I run into on the right. street. Use different tones and different uh, to convey different mm. messages in different situations with different people. Yeah. And so it could very well be Paul. He doesn't need to start out saying, hey, I'm Paul. I'm right. so happy for you guys. Yeah. When that's not his motive for the conversation at all. Sure. Well, and it reminds me of the different versions of the uh, First Vision account, mm -hmm. right? That there are different yeah. versions, but they're... They're written for different purposes to different audiences, and so of course you would write it differently and and have a different uh, voice maybe in the in the letter. But you said something about the end of Hebrews that that makes you think maybe this yeah. was Paul. Oh. Paul does have a very characteristic ending to all of his letters. Uh, he always ends with sort of his little Pauline proverbs, right. I like to call them. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing in the end of Hebrews. He, he starts out just, let brotherly love continue. Mm -hmm. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Yeah. Marriage is honorable and all. All these things that don't necessarily all go together, but they're just good life advice. Yeah. And he always does that. Yeah. And then the very last line I love, he just says, grace be with you all. Amen. Yeah. You, you can't get more Paul than <laughs> grace be with you all. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it. So, so we're going to stick with this being Paul uh, today, and as we as we go through this, uh, we'll just attribute everything to Paul, even though maybe in the next life we'll we'll learn that it was somebody else. But, yep. but for here uh, and our purposes today, we'll talk about Paul. So let's jump in Hebrews chapter seven, um, and I, I might just say at the end of last week's podcast, we talked just a little bit about this idea of. Um, uh, the Melchizedek priesthood and how important the Melchizedek priesthood was as Christ was the great high priest um, who was given that priesthood um, so that we could make covenants and things like that. And I know that that is part of this uh, discussion here um, and, and Melchizedek has really been lost uh, to much of the world. And I might just back up really quickly to chapter 5 um, that uh, it says verse 5 so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son. So God made Christ a high priest. Uh, Today have I begotten thee. And then verse 6, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we start getting Melchizedek introduced here in chapter 5. There, there's reference to him throughout chapter 6. And then we're going to get into 7. And, and obviously Melchizedek is an Old Testament prophet that we don't know very much about from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But we learn some things here and in, in modern day scripture. So yeah. with that as a background, take us in. Yeah. So, Melchizedek, like you said, we don't have much on him in the Old Testament. It's, all, it's also very apparent that the Jews at this time had a little more information than we have now. Sure. Now, we've had a lot of scripture that is lost. We see that in Alma chapter 13, uh, when Alma's talking to Zeezrom, and he goes on this whole spiel about Melchizedek, the great king of Salem, how right. he restored a whole people to right. righteousness. Yeah, right. Uh, and 
he obviously knew that, and we don't have that record, yeah. showing that something was lost. Yeah. Uh, the Jews here, they had high respect for Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. And he starts off right here uh, in verse 2, uh, talking about Melchizedek. He says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Mm. Uh, Abraham is probably the most central figure at this point, maybe Moses, sure. but one of the most central figures in all of Judaism at yeah. this point. Yeah. He's the one that everything stems from, the one that they have the most respect for. Yeah. And so bringing in Melchizedek and saying even Abraham paid tithes to this guy, yeah. sort of setting him up as this important figure, even superseding Abraham, and that sort of leads into this discussion about the priesthood, and so that we now have in the forefront of our minds uh, that this is a really important thing. It even goes above the greatness of Abraham. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I've loved reading, and that's in Genesis, uh, maybe chapter 15, where mm -hmm. we kind of are introduced to Melchizedek. And remember, Abraham went down into Egypt and became very wealthy as he became friends with the king down there. And, and remember, the king wanted to marry his wife yep. and all that <laughs> stuff, right? So, so uh, Abraham was made very wealthy, so to pay a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek would have been significant and would have spoken to Melchizedek's authority as a priesthood leader in town um, for even an Abraham, which which speaks highly of him. I think there's a there's a place in there that uh, Aber, a, Melchizedek is called almost a perfect man. Yeah. And uh, that speaks pretty highly of, of uh, who he was. So that we know anything about him, uh, I think is important. And that, like you said, verse 2, uh, points to his significance in the Old Testament world and that the Jews knew something about him. I love that. I love that. Um, maybe verse 3. Can I read verse 3? Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> um, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Then verse 4, now consider how great this man was, even unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave t a tenth of his spoils, right? So, so look at this guy. He, this guy's got like, you know, he's got it all put together. So why does Paul um, attribute Abraham or Melchizedek here? What, what, what do you think his, his reference is? Yeah, so uh, we've already had some discussion earlier in Hebrews. He goes into a lot in chapter 7 about how Christ was a high priest, sure. uh, how he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. Uh, and so, by correlating those two, Christ and Melchizedek, Paul uses what the Jews already know. Yeah. Uh, the Hebrews are just the Jewish people. So, yeah. he takes what they already know and respect and say, Jesus, this Messiah, is on the exact same level yeah. as that, yeah. if not even higher. Yeah. He's saying he's on the same level as Melchizedek. He had that same power, that same priesthood, called right. after that same order. And so we should be looking up to him the same way that you look up to Abraham and look up to Melchizedek. Yeah, yeah, and, and he references in, in was it verse 9, 10, somewhere in there, he references Levi mm -hmm. because these the, the Hebrew people would have known about the Levitical priesthood, yeah. the Aaronic priesthood, right? And, and Christ was being made a priest in an order much higher than the Levitical priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so I think his reference here is, you, you do know this. You know the Le Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood that John baptized with. Um, but Christ was a different priest, had a different authority, right? Yeah, and he talks about that in verse 11. I'll read that one real yeah, quick. Go ahead. He says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest uh, should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Yeah, good. I like that verse 12 
takes us farther into mm -hmm. that. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law, right? He's yeah. saying, look, Christ came with a completely different level of priesthood that fulfilled the old law, the perfection, right? That the, the perfection were made by the Levitical priesthood, according to verse 11, right? It's through uh, baptism that you are made clean, right? Mm -hmm. And now the, the, uh, the Melchizedek priesthood is going to provide for a higher law that's going to allow for higher covenants and blessings to come into your life beyond just being clean and worthy enough to come back to live with God based on the application of the atonement, right? Yeah. And that's something that Paul talks about a lot here uh, is having the old things and making them new, making them yeah. a higher way. And I think the priesthood being one of these first things that he points out is a great example. Because if we think of the priesthood with the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood, it's not necessarily two different priesthoods. Mm -hmm. It's all one priesthood. Yeah. It's just a higher uh, version of the first one. You have more uh, rights, more responsibilities, yeah. more powers once you get to the Melchizedek priesthood. And it's yeah. the same thing with this law. The new law and the new covenant that Christ introduced here uh, isn't a whole new law sure. that suddenly you have to follow this instead of following right. the law of Moses. It's the same law, just on a higher level, yeah. uh, having more responsibility, uh, having, uh, I mean, all directed under the Melchizedek priesthood, so having some more ordinances. Sure. Right. Uh, but it's all the same law at the base of it because it's all centered around Jesus Christ and his atonement. Yeah, the, the principles behind it are the same, right? It, it's it's uh, ministering versus home teaching. Yeah. Home teaching being much more prescriptive, much more uh, this is what it looks like when it's done correctly, and minister ministering being the, the principle of caring for one another is the same. Mm -hmm. But now we've taken away the specifics of the law and said, now go do it like your neighbor needs it, not like we've dictated to you to go do it. it reminds me also of in the Doctrine and Covenants section 13, um, where it talks about how uh, the, well, it references that there will be a time where the, the Aaronic priesthood won't be needed anymore. Mm -hmm. And we know historically that um, the Old Testament didn't, we didn't have the Aaronic priesthood until the children of Israel uh, kind of went crazy at the base of the mountain while, while Moses was up on the hill, right? Yeah. That, that was when it was really created as a preparatory priesthood. But uh, chapter 13 is only one verse long, and it's where uh, Joseph is, is receiving, and Oliver Cowdery are receiving the um, Aaronic priesthood from John the Baptist. It says, Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys of ministering angels and of the gospel of repentance and baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. So there's the, the clean, right? Yeah. And then it says, And this shall never be taken again from the earth, comma, but it doesn't end there. It says, until the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. And that's a, that's worth a whole podcast by itself, that yeah. last <laughs> sentence there. If, if you do a little bit of study on that, there have been very recent modern prophets who have spoken about uh, the sons of Levi, those of, of uh, direct descendants of Levi, uh, again offering sacrifice. Um, and even, I think, as recently as President Hinckley um, uh, referencing that and saying we don't understand what that will look like someday, but that will be something that is done before the Aaronic priesthood is not necessary anymore. Um, and then the Melchizedek priesthood becomes the the order. It it, yeah. en it encapsulates and includes all of the things, like you said, that that were old and and we really won't need because they're all within the Melchizedek order. Yeah. 
Love that, love that. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so uh, actually moving on from chapter 7 on to chapter 8. Okay. So now we have it established that Jesus Christ is that high priest, uh, and we sort of go into the high priest's duties uh, in chapter 8. In verse 3, he says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Mm. Wherefore, it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer. Hmm. And so he goes on uh, talking about... Uh, the sacrifice of Christ, I'm going to skip ahead even yep. another chapter, okay. uh, to chapter 9. Uh, he, Paul here, he used a lot of words to get across one small point, sure. which isn't a bad thing. It's sure. great. Sure. He has a lot of stuff to say. Uh, but just skipping to verse 9, or chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, he okay. says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, mm. purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow, yeah. <laughs> so he sort of uses that comparison. Yeah. This is what we did in the old law, the blood of bulls and goats, uh, all of these washings and sacrifices yeah. and priests going to the tabernacle to offer the sacrifice of atonement every year. Yeah. And all these very wrote sacrifices every year. And he's saying that Christ has done a higher version, that yeah. he sacrificed himself. Yeah. He sacrificed his own life for the sins of all of us so that we can all be cleansed. And that doesn't have to be that ritual that's done every year. It was done once and for all. Yeah, Stephen, thank you. I, I really appreciate that, that, um, that you've taken us from seven or from eight into nine to look at the connection there. I might take us back to yeah. s back into into eight verse six because I think it is a bookend to what you just said. Verse six says, "But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, mm -hmm. which was established upon better promises." Right? That how wonderful were what were the promises from the law of Moses? Right? That we could be forgiven of our sins. Yeah. That the whole body of people could be forgiven it as they offered a communal sacrifice and um, you know those those very specific uh, offerings were made um, but isn't it better that I can individually receive that that I can know the Savior myself that I can go to him myself and receive that sacrifice um, that he made for me mm -hmm. that I don't have to go do outwardly anymore it's it's been done for me it makes me pause here maybe a little bit um, just to consider what what is the application in your mind to uh, our lives here? I mean, obviously, obviously, the atonement is central here in the discussion. But but how do we take? Because because you and I didn't live the the Old Testament mm -hmm. law, right? And so so how do we take this concept that's being taught to us and apply it to a very modern world where we have the restored gospel and we didn't live the Old Testament, we didn't live the the Mosaic Law. What are your thoughts there? How, yeah. how might we make connections there? I, the, the phrase comes to mind, very classic scriptural promise uh, that we learn line upon line and precept upon precept, yeah. here a little and there a little, right. uh, that we know the gospel in its basics. And there are certain ways that we live that. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we continue to mm -hmm. learn more about the gospel, there come uh, new principles, maybe new applications yeah. that aren't necessarily for everyone, but maybe for ourselves. Because sure. like you point out, it's a very individual gospel. Right. And something that's going to, I mean, I'll be reading and I'll find something that's not necessarily a commandment, but something that'll help me become more like Christ right, and yeah. come closer to him. Yeah. And it's sort of like the Jews here uh, with 
hey, what you had isn't bad. Right. It's a very good thing, but I have something better for you. Yeah. I have a better law that yeah. you can now follow. I really love that. And it makes me think about those who might say, um, if, if God changes a policy or a practice, then it means the previous policy or practice was wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and that's proof that the church isn't true and, or whatever, right? And I think that's a little silly because this is, a, this is a direct evidence of God teaching line upon line and giving something that wasn't full. It wasn't the best. Verse 7 in chapter 8 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So, so it's like even in days of old, he knew, I'm going to create this system for you, and it's not perfect. I could create a better system for you, but you're not ready for the better system. That's why the line upon line. It's not because he doesn't know or couldn't give us the fullness. It reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> the brother of Jared when he's made the barges and uh, he goes to the Lord and he asks his three questions and they're I can't see um, I can't, can't I stand, can't steer first and then I can't breathe he asks them in that order too like like the the most important is I can't see and I, <laughs> I also can't steer but but I oh and I can't breathe too right like and but God answers them in the right order he said he says well I'm gonna tell you how to fix the breathing problem put a hole at the top and the bottom and plug it and when it's upside down unplug yep. the top right and then he, he, he directs the second one, I'm going to steer you, I'm going to blow you across the ocean. But then he asks the question to the brother of Jared, what do you want? How do you want me to solve the problem of not being able to see? Which I think is a proof that sometimes it's okay for our, our best idea to be his idea. And, yeah. and he fulfills it that way. But it's so interesting to me because um, that is a time when the brother of Jared says, well, shiny rocks. If you just touch a shiny rock, that would be enough, right? And you've got to know that Christ, as he's seeing the brother of Jared with, with this mass problem, right? He's got all these barges that are going to cross the ocean with all these animals and all these people, and he's going to have shiny rocks to get his way through. In his mind, I'm sure Christ had the best light source, right? He knew what the best light source was. For us, it's, a, I don't know, a halogen bulb or whatever. Yeah. And he could have said, well, let me, let me introduce the halogen bulb to you and teach you about that, right? But he didn't because we weren't ready for that. The brother Jared was shiny rock level, right? Yeah. And I think most of the time, I am shiny rock level, right? Like, but what, what comes with that is massive faith, right? That the brother of Jared says, hey, if you'll just touch a rock, it will glow. And maybe that was the best source, right? Mm -hmm. Especially at the time, that, that that would be the source of light that they would travel across the ocean with. What better source? Yeah. Uh, it, I, anyway. You reminded me of something that you actually said in our Answering Gospel oh, no. Questions class <laughs> oh, no. a couple yeah, weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. You're yeah. one of my students in there. Yeah, uh, but you said something... I'm probably going to misquote this, but the experiences and trials that we have on earth are the things that are going to allow us to be uh, most like our Heavenly Father the fastest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. That's just stuck with me. And it's sort of that same thing with that experience there, that if he had just given him a light bulb and said, hey, this is some cool technology that's going to come in the future, right, yeah. that wouldn't have helped him to develop that faith. For it sure. wouldn't have helped him to... Uh, come to that understanding of who God is, who he is, and yeah. how he can progress more. Yeah. And, and it's sort of the same thing with the Jews here. If God had just given them the higher law 
right at the beginning, that might not have been what they needed. It really wouldn't have been since right. they were worshiping a golden calf when it was given. Right, yeah. They weren't ready for that. Yeah, had Christ been born then, mm -hmm. that there would have been no one to follow him yeah. because they needed to be taught a, mm -hmm. a, a level, right? I love that. I appreciate you reminding me of that phrase. Um, it's something I, I have said quite a bit in my life, and a sister missionary, maybe it was in your class, sister missionary raised her hand. She said, I, I might challenge that a little bit. She said, I think that the trials and challenges we face in our life are the things that are helping us become more like God um, the most in the most efficient way. So maybe not the fastest, right? Maybe there's a maybe there's a faster way to just force me to become like God, but but in a, in the most efficient way, my trials and challenges are given to me because those are the things that are going to test me in the things I'm struggling with, right? Well, and I, I really like that because the fastest way that would be sort of Satan's plan, right? Force, just, just go down, snap <laughs> your fingers, you're back, you're God. Now. Exactly right. <laughs> but that, that, we know that's not how it works. No, and I'm grateful because I want to learn it, right? I don't want to just be forced to become it. I want to learn how to become it. I think that's uh, I think that's the way it should be. Um, I just love the chapter heading to, chap to chapter 9. Mm -hmm. The Mosaic ordinances prefigured Christ's ministry. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. I, it makes me think of my friends that are, that are Jewish people today. Um, you know, it, I think it will be such a beautiful day when Christ comes back and he can point to all of the ordinances and the sacrifices and the very specific outward things that that people does um, to worship God. Um, and just helps them see his connection to each of those things, right? That, that they would be um, taught, again, but for the first time, those individuals, right, about the connectivity that Christ had to each of the Mosaic Law components that even today they live so closely, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be very cool. And, and it makes me kind of wonder, back to Section 13, you know, that I think sometimes in the church we think, Maybe we've got to do all the things, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, I think there might be a, a way for, for God to allow the Jewish people to build a temple in Jerusalem, to be offering sacrifices, and then for Christ to come back and show them in their temple, here's, here's what you're doing here, yeah. and in righteousness be taught that, right? And, and not, that, not that it won't be the church, but, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it could be uh, uh, the, the first that yeah. got it, to do it again, right? And that they'd do it last. Anyway, what else? What else in here should yeah. we look at? Uh, well, just on that subject that you were talking about with Christ being in every single piece of our ordinances, I think sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of the times, we miss that as well. Yeah. I mean, the people then didn't necessarily see it. He points out in uh, chapter 9 at the beginning, he goes through pretty much the entire layout of the tabernacle mm -hmm. uh, and every single piece of it, the candlestick, the table, the shoe bread, mm -hmm. the veil, the manna, Aaron's rod, all of these things uh, that all point to Christ, and we can see some of those. The manna being the bread of life, uh, especially sure. sustaining them in the wilderness, it being the only yeah. thing that they can live on. The candlestick being the light by which, I mean, that's the only thing illuminating the tabernacle. Without right. that, you wouldn't be able to do anything else. Yeah. I also love the veil. Uh, mm. This is something that Paul brings up uh, later in verse 20 of chapter 10. Oh, 19 and 20. I'll just skip there. Yeah, uh, he says. Uh, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath uh, consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Mm. And so all of these parts of the tabernacle, a lot of which we have in the temple today and a lot of other stuff that isn't mentioned here we have in our temple today, that mm. all testify of Christ, but we sort of look beyond the mark mm -hmm. uh, like the Jews did. And we, we don't take the time to sort of see how is this testifying of Christ. We're just mm -hmm. trying to see the bigger picture all at once. 
And then we sort of look past all that, and sometimes it confuses us a bit. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, I love this idea of the of the veil. Uh, there's a lot of things that the veil, what we learn from the veil. Um, first, maybe back to when Christ was crucified, that the veil of the temple was rent. Mm -hmm. And I think when we read that, there, it's, it's kind of in conjunction with earthquakes and the other things that are going on. And, and I think we could read that on the surface as just a, a condition of the the torrent that was going on in the world, right? That 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 uh, everything was kind of in upheaval. But I think there's a spiritual connection there that all of a sudden, because Christ has suffered and died, mm -hmm. there is a parting of the veil, and now access to the gospel can be can be made from this side of the veil and that side of the veil, and we now have this interplay between both sides. Whereas before Christ had, had suffered through the atonement and passed away and was resurrected, um, there really wasn't a, a way to get beyond the veil. So then we get to here where he's teaching us. I love that you, you read it, but I love in verse 20, he says, by a new and living way, mm -hmm. right? Christ being living. Um, he's speaking of Christ that through the veil and his flesh, we have access to him, the great high priest, right? Um, I, I love that um, in the in the temple we learned some things new even in the mm -hmm. last, I don't know, six months maybe? Yeah, I think it was changed in February or was so. It, yeah. So like six, seven months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we learn of Christ actually being the veil, mm -hmm. right? Representing the veil and, and so many things that we learn there. Um, you know, obviously careful to discuss, but... but um, there's there's things we can discuss about that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, well, one thing specifically for me that I feel is appropriate to share, I never really considered Christ being the veil until those changes were made, and they just explicitly say it. Right. Uh, but it makes a lot of things fall into place. I think about the account in 3 Nephi 11, mm -hmm. uh, where Christ comes and appears to the Nephites, and the first thing he says is, come, thrust your hands into my side, right. feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, and they go one by one. Right. And how many times had I been to the temple before that and gone one by one and thrust my hand into his side and felt the prints right. of the nails in his hands and in his feet? Yeah. And all these things that I completely looked over before, Ooh. I didn't see Christ in that. I just thought, okay, this is just what we do in the temple. Yeah, that's really beautiful that, that there is really an opportunity for each of us in the temple to have a 3 Nephi 11 experience. Exactly. Right? How cool is that? I, I have been taught, and I don't remember who taught me. It was a student of mine, I think. Uh, taught me about even even the garment that we place on ourselves the markings that are on the on the temple veil mm -hmm. that we literally are placing on ourselves uh, we are putting on Christ almost yeah. literally in in a in a sense not not to get weird with it but but I think that that there is a there is something to we wear the symbols of our faith which is Christ which is in Christ right that that is how we get back. That is through whom we go. Yeah. There is no other way but through him. And that is quite literally what we are taught in the temple, that we go through the veil to get to our Father in heaven. And he is the way. He is the way. Man, I love the, I love the visuals that you've painted there. That's really, really beautiful. Um, and and maybe, maybe we find it in, um, we just stay in chapter 10 for a little yeah. bit. Um, maybe verse 16, a little before what you just read, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, were, were remission of these 
is, there is no more offering for sin. It reminds me of uh, the laws being written in our hearts. Reminds me of the changes that have been made line upon line to the um, uh, the for strength of youth uh, handbook. Right, yeah. that, that it is no longer a set of rules for us to just go and reference. It's written in our heart. I have to understand the principle and then I will live the law, right? There's no there's no very specific rule that I can't date till I'm 16. Mm -hmm. It's funny, my 15, 14 year old still talks to this day about the when he turns 16 and he can start to date. And, and every time he brings it up, I, I, I stop him and say, well, why are you waiting till you're 16? Is that, do we need to wait till we're 16? Or maybe you need to wait till you're 20. I, I don't know, depending on you and what where you're at. But I think that, that we still, at least my son, and I think many, are still living in this time where we're referencing the old law and saying, well, isn't it great that I have a date that I know when I can date? And that's nice, um, but, but what's Sort of like you were saying before, it's not bad, it's a good no, thing, right. well, what's, there's a better way. Exactly, what's the principle behind it? Well, wait until you're mature enough to date. Wait mm -hmm. until that's something that you can... So I think as I think about young adults and I think... You know, we're living a higher and holier law according to prophets today, yeah. right? We, we really are in, in home study church and, um, you know, the extra hour that we're to take at home. I wonder sometimes, I'm not great at it. My, my family is imperfect at this, the extra hour at home. But I think about myself as a young adult and I think how many young adults are going home and actually spending the extra hour come follow me time at home or have we come up with reasons why that's not how I do it? I do, I, and they haven't been specific about what it mm -hmm. looks like, right? But, but they did very specifically state that here's an extra hour on Sunday for you to go home and have a deeper study. And, and maybe as a family, but, but are we doing anything with that time? Have we been given the permission to ourselves to go and, and create what we need to about that, that time in our, in our homes? I wonder how many of our families have just gone to the two-hour church now and we go home and do Sunday like we used to do it. Yeah. We're no longer doing the higher and holier uh, just because it's, it's new. Yeah, you know, we haven't really developed it yet. Yeah, and that's a thing that Paul's talking to the Jews about here as well. Is he he completely recognizes that? Sure. Uh, he says, uh, sort of, I know that I am asking you to basically change everything that you've ever done in your right. entire life. Yeah, it, right. it, it's like if the prophet stood up at General Conference and said, "We are not celebrating Christmas anymore." Right. We'd be like, "What are <laughs> what are we doing then?" <laughs> but yeah. but but even with something smaller like the three-hour church down to two hours and come follow me. Sure, right. Uh, it's I am asking you to change what you've done your entire life, yep. what you are used to, and I know that that can be hard. And that leads into chapter eleven, where Paul just goes off on faith. Mm. Uh, and just talking about uh, faith with like every single prominent biblical figure yeah. uh, and saying, I am asking you to change and it's a big thing. I recognize that this is going to be hard mm. and that some of you, like you're saying, aren't going to right. be able to do it perfectly right yeah. away because you just don't know what it looks like. Yeah. But as long as you have the faith, if you have, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yeah. seen. If you have that hope, right. you're going to be able to do this to the best of your ability, sure. even if it's not perfect. Yeah, yeah, and you'll see, you'll see the benefits of doing it God's way mm -hmm. in a higher and holier way. You might still see the benefits in doing it the old way, mm -hmm. right? If, if you could stick around church for an extra hour and get taught an extra hour, you, you would see benefits. I yeah. think we all did back in the day. But will there are there more benefits to go home and do it the way we're being asked to do it now by God? Yeah, I think so. And I think you will see them. But it requires 
uh, a hope that it will actually benefit me, and then it requires that I actually go out and do something about it, and I, I, have, act, I have to practice it, right? I have to put it into, 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 into work. Look, look back maybe just before we go into chapter 11 too far. Yeah. Back to verse 36. For ye have need of patience. Mm-hmm that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And I think that's maybe important for us, that, that you know, it's going to take us some time. I know for me, for example, I, uh, I was probably 40-ish when, like, exactly middle of my life when those mm-hmm. changes were made, right? So I'll have half of my life with uh, those, the, the old way and hopefully half of my life at least with, with the, the new way. And so it will be harder for me probably um, and I'll need to be patient with myself mm-hmm. to really see the blessings come in my life. But for those that are younger, um, and, and especially those that are out on your own for the first time, now is the time to make those changes. If your family wasn't doing it perfectly um, at home, you have your own homes now, right? Yeah. You can you can establish what it looks like for you so that when you have children, that's all they know. They don't know the old way, right? Mm-hmm. They know that we go to church for two hours, we come home, and we spend an hour at home continuing in the Come Follow Me study, right? Yeah, but but if we don't make those changes with ourselves, for me, patiently over the course of some period of time, and for younger people, maybe quicker, mm-hmm. um, because they're a little more, a little less stuck in their old ways, uh, then it will take even longer to steer the ship, and the, and the Lord's waiting on the earth to to come again because He's waiting for us to be ready. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we get a little discouraged on that. We like to think of things very instantly. We like instant gratification. Yeah. Uh, but we need to have patience. I think of an example on my mission. Uh, I was about 23 and a half months out when the new <laughs> Preach My Gospel was oh, released. Oh, wow. Uh, one that just came out with. <laughs> two and so weeks I left. had I had like two or three weeks left <laughs> of, hey, now we have this brand new Preach My Gospel. Don't do the stuff that you did before. Do oh, this. Wow. Some of the biggest changes, instead of having five lessons, we only had four now. Yeah. And... Uh, in the restoration lesson, we would always teach about the apostasy, uh-huh. and now the principle changed from the great apostasy to the great falling away. Right. They don't want us to say apostasy sure. anymore when teaching the investigator. Sure. Uh, and for my last three weeks or so, that would be hard. I'm like, I have been doing this for 23 and a half months, and now I suddenly have to change all this, and <laughs> it, it's really difficult. Yeah, patience is important then, right? <laughs> oh. I, I love chapter 11, and I'm sure there's stuff to, to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. He goes through almost verse by verse and speaks of the faith of old prophets, right? Uh, four, verse 4 is about Abel, and verse 5 is mm-hmm. about Enoch, and verse 7 is about Noah and Abraham and 8. And, um, you know, so we have, and even Sarah um, in, in verse 11, we have these very clear uh, descriptions of how prophets had faith. But, but I might, and maybe you want to jump into there. I, I want to I look at verse 6. Because I think it ties to verse 1 about the substance of things hoped for. It says in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think think the reason that I like that is it it is, I don't know, maybe, maybe I have a little bit of a, of a pet project to find in the New Testament all the places where it helps us identify that we do need to do some mm-hmm. things, right? We we can't just have this knowledge of Christ and have it be enough. And, and, and not that I'm earning my way to heaven, but, but this is proof that faith is something I have to develop in order to even please Him, and that uh, 
I will be rewarded if I seek him. Mm -hmm. Those are action things, right? That, that to gain faith, I have to do something. To seek him, I have to do something. And I think that, that, that this is a place where faith being an action word um, yeah. re is required. Yeah, it sort of has that motivation behind the faith. Yeah. You, you have to, I mean, you can say, like, I believe in God, I know he's there, but you're not going to want to do anything with that unless, right. like the second part says, you know that he's going to reward you if you diligently seek him. Exactly. There, there's sort of that motivation, that's where the faith stems from. Otherwise, it's just a knowledge, if you can even exactly. call it that. Yeah, exactly. And that then, then if we take verse 1 and verse 6, and then we go look at these other verses, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, sorry, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him by faith, verse 7, Noah being warned of God of things, he went and built an ark, right? By yeah. faith, Abraham was called to go out to a place so he could receive an inheritance and he went, right? It's all of these references of prophets of old having gone and done, yeah. not just believed. And if we go even further back to verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Mm. Joseph Smith expounds a lot on that verse mm. in lectures on faith. I think it's mm -hmm. lecture first. Uh, but he talks about how if God didn't have faith, we wouldn't even be right. here. He couldn't frame the worlds without faith. Yeah. All of it was done because even God had faith, which wow. allowed him to have that action. Wow, that's beautiful. And and I think we could we can infer also that God has faith in us, right? Mm -hmm. That he created the world because he knew we would come and choose the right. We would, yeah. we would ultimately come, most of us, I think, will come and choose to follow and be, be with him. Uh, someday, he, but but again, he just all the way through this um, uh, that they they had faith. They were acting in their faith. We get to verse thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, mm -hmm. and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. So all of these magnificent prophets. None of them saw Jesus. Yeah. None of them saw, I mean, in, yeah. live his life yeah. and have the atonement worked out for them, right? They all saw it way out in their future and had faith enough to live the way they lived. And I think, I don't, I don't know that it's easy. Yeah, I think it's maybe easier for us, mm -hmm. right? We can look back and see Christ's life. We can point to things he did. We can say, what would Jesus do? We can, you know, we, we have his, his writings, his teachings in two different books and then a doctrine and covenants of how to organize the church. We have very clear instructions from Christ about how to live in the new and, and, and the, the newest covenants, right? And, and yet, Paul points to all the prophets of old and says, look, even those guys who didn't have the knowledge you have, uh, that hadn't received, quote, the promises, um, but they lived that way. And I think that's really telling to us. I think there's some instruction to us that we've got a little easier and, and maybe we can live that way too. Yeah, and it reminds me of what Nephi said in 2 Nephi 25 about how they keep the law of Moses even though they know it's going mm -hmm. to end. They mm -hmm. know that there's going to be a deadness to yeah, the law. Right, right. And he says, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ. Yeah but he's not here yet. He hasn't given us this higher law. So for now, we're going to do what we're doing, yeah. even though we know this is not the final result. Oh, isn't that cool? And, and Stephen, doesn't it, doesn't it make you think of, of the, going back to the veil, right? That mm -hmm. we don't have Christ here to thrust our hands into the wounds in his side and to feel the nail prints in his hands. But we do have some things we can do yeah. to reference that. 
um, and, to, and to maybe be close to Christ as close as we can. And so until he comes, which we know he will, mm-hmm. just like the Nephites did, right? Yeah. That, that until he comes, we will do the ordinances that help us do those things as much as possible. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think on that, that note, uh, we... So it's sort of easier for us because this has already happened, but we also know there's more to come. We yeah. don't have the whole final picture because, like you said, when Christ comes, he's going to be here. Yeah. There's going to be more. It's going to be a little different. Right. And we don't know what that's going to look like, yeah. and we know that what we're doing now, parts of it might stay the same, but parts of it are going to end, yeah. and we're going to have something even better. Yeah. And that's something for us to look forward to as well with just that faith that, yeah, this is going to happen, and what we're doing right now, it's not bad. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see what things, what parts of the law that we live now yeah. are cut away because there's a better way. There's a higher and a holier way even to do those things. I don't know what they are, but but won't it be cool someday to be taught that and mm-hmm. and know? Anyway, that, I mean, we could keep going through chapter 11 that, that all of the, pro- I mean, Joseph and Moses, um, you yeah, know. He, he we, just keeps going. So mm-hmm. many prophets he talks about there. Maybe we slow down at the end of 11. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's much there that you want to touch on, but I love from 32 uh, really to the end. Um, maybe I'll just start reading there and, yeah, and, and we'll stop. Uh, what shall I say more, or what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, or of Barak, or of Samson, or of Japheth, or of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong of faith. Right? That's what mm-hmm. he's saying. Yeah waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. This is maybe a reference to Isaiah, right? Yeah. Um, Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. These men of faith, the world was not worthy of them. And then maybe my favorite part here. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They still didn't know Christ. They didn't have him in their life day to day. They, they couldn't look back on his life. Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. We have a better thing. And because of the veil being rent, we can now go back and help them. Right? We have the ability to go back and provide for them ordinances that weren't available to them because Christ hadn't come yet. Yeah. This, is, this is such a massive assignment that, that Paul's giving to us and pointing to better men, I think, saying these guys are dependent on you on some levels because they didn't have what you have. Sort of puts a pressure on you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? And, and really, ultimately, the, the hearts of the fathers turn to the children and the hearts of the children turn to the fathers, I think, because of this, right? But, but that they didn't have the promise, they didn't have Christ, and they lived the way they lived, mm-hmm. and they were so willing uh, to, to go through the, the things that they went through. How fantastic 
um, what a what a lesson to each of us, right? We can get through our little stuff, yeah. knowing what we know and having what we have. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a time where I've had to stop the mouth of a lion or right. overthrow a kingdom, <laughs> <laughs> right? And 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 really, again, that that I have a full knowledge of Christ. I have a mm-hmm. full knowledge of how the atonement works in my life. Um, how it was wrought, I don't know. I, ha- I have no idea how that worked, right? But but I know how I access it. I know I know what he did so that I can I can come back. I don't know how it happened, but but I can look at it. Where Abraham, he was just hopeful that it would happen. Yeah. I don't know what it will look like eventually, but something will happen and, and I will be able to be saved. I can look back. What a blessing. What a powerful blessing in our lives. So anyway, I, I just love the end of chapter 11. Uh, there's so oh, yeah, much in good. 11 to love, but love that. Anything in 12? Uh or back in 11, you want to, I just kind no, of... No, no, going out. forward to 12, uh, there's the classic verse in verse 9. I'll read in a second. I'd like to start in verse 6. But before that, sort of going back uh, to what I was saying before, uh, Paul here is sort of saying, hey, I'm changing everything that you've right, already yeah. known. This is a big adjustment. And he sort of goes here where this might seem a bit like a chastisement. Mm-hmm. You are doing stuff wrong, and I am here to sure. correct you. Uh, but he says that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, starting in verse 6 through 9, okay. he says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, mm. and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So mm. the Lord loves you, that's why he's doing this. He wants me to bring this knowledge to you yeah. so that you can live in a higher way. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as his sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Mm. And skipping over to verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much uh, rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? Mm. Mm. So we learn a couple things here. First off, that God has given this, made it available to us, so that we can use it. And it might hurt a little bit at first. It might feel like that chastisement. Hey, you're telling me I'm doing everything wrong. That's not very nice. (laughs) But it's for our good. And once we apply that, I mean, if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of man or whether I speak of myself. Uh, uh, But we also learn that we are children of God. This is one of my favorite parts, just because it has that divine identity for each of us Mm -hmm. in the Bible here. It's not something that we see very much. Uh, But showing God is our Father, and any parent would correct their child to help them be better. Mm-hmm. I know my parents corrected me a lot sure, as sure. I was growing up. Right. They still do. <laughs> uh, but it's not because they hate me. It's right. because they want me to have a better life than even they have. Yeah. And our Father in Heaven is doing the exact same thing for yeah. us. To improve us, right? Mm-hmm. That we might we might obtain more than we want naturally, right? I, I think it ties us back. Let's If we can back, back yeah, up to verse it. 1, it said... Um, kind of in the middle, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I had an opportunity this last weekend. Um, my best friend growing up was put into a bishopric and uh, and he's had some struggles in the last few years and nothing nothing uh, horrible, but but um, just some things that he's gone through and and he, uh, when he was speaking to the, his congregation, I got to be there that day, and, and he talked about running. And he said, when we start to run, when we, we as people, be, mm-hmm. we begin running, most of us run too fast, and we run too hard, and we hurt our bodies, and it's not fun, and it's miserable, and we're just unhappy. And he said, um, but if we will learn to go slowly um, and run, but run slowly, um, we are not as tired. We aren't as worn out. We gain more capacity to run faster. 
But too often we run with someone else or we run with a, a reference point for how long it should take me, a six-minute mile or a yep. five-minute mile, whatever, right? <laughs> that, that would be like, I can drive that fast, I think, but right? But for me to run that fast, that's so far out of my wheelhouse that, that, that to even think close to that, I would just be so defeated all the time. I love this instruction because it says, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. But then, verse 4, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Makes me think of Christ in the atonement in the, in the garden where he is knelt, kneeling down and blood is coming to every pore of his body at the extreme condition of the weight of sin, mm -hmm. but this might suggest that resisting sin could cause blood to come from every pore, that we can resist sin at, to that level, right? Mm -hmm. that, that well, I think we sort of see a tiny little degree of that in the story of Zeezrom with mm -hmm. Alma and Amulek, yeah. where he thinks that he's just killed every single righteous person, and that was all his fault, right. and that causes him that weight to literally cause him physical sickness yeah. that he has to be healed from. Right, right. I, I just think of the Savior, I think of Zeezrom, I think that's such a great example that, that are we resisting to the point where our physical body is, is revolting against the resistance from sin or are we just resisting a little bit and it's not working and so I, I just think of Christ um, that he really resisted and to the point where Probably the weights of sins cause that same that same outcome, right? Blood from every pore. But maybe that just the the capacity to resist at that level would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, that his his spirit was pushing out so hard against the body um, that it would cause that outcome. Um, and and then and then five, right? Where kind of where you brought us, right? Mm -hmm. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh speaketh unto you. As unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And then for the Lord, who the Lord loveth, the Lord chasteneth, mm -hmm. right? That, 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 that we can do better. We can do better. We, we aren't doing everything we, are, we can. We are just saying we are, so we don't feel bad about ourselves. Um, but I think most of us, and this is a, Elder Christofferson in a, in a talk to um, seminary and institute teachers uh, some years back said, uh, we, we really can do better um, and we really can resist more and, and uh, it, it is just a condition of our world that we, we have succumbed to this idea that, well, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. No, I don't think we are, right? Um, not that we should over, uh, overburden ourselves, but... Um, anyway. I, I think there's a nice delicate balance there uh, where don't try to take everything on yourself at once because we sure. know we can be so much better. Right, yeah. But like we said before, line upon line, precept upon precept, that's what like the entire point of life is, yeah. is to learn and grow and be better, to learn from our mistakes and become yeah. more like Christ and develop that little more every yeah. single day. I really love that. I, I'm reminded of a, <laughs> this is probably the lamest uh, devotional ever given in a <laughs> seminary class, but I was sitting as a, as a student years ago. I was probably 16 maybe at the time. And we didn't have a devotional that day, and, and my teacher, uh, Brother Spute at the time, said, does anybody have a thought they'd want to share today? And I just popped my hand up, and I went, to the, I went to the board, and I just remember feeling like I had so many things in my life I wanted to fix. And so I drew just this really, I'm not a good drawer, so I just drew this really lame-looking tree on the board, and then I drew all these branches that were sticking out of the tree, out, like out of balance. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, most of the time, um, we feel like the, the correct way to fix the branches is to just lop the tree off at the top of the, top of the trunk. And that would fix it. All the problems would go away. Yeah. We mm -hmm. just want God to fix all the problems, take them all away at one time. But the reality is, is that by going into the branch and following it back to its source and clipping it off there, and then going to the next one and clipping it off there, I'm gonna feel reproof for a long time for some things that take me a while to get to. But there are bigger issues in my life that I should focus on first. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually I'll get to the smaller ones. And maybe, maybe just a quick story. I, uh, I remember we, had, we used to have regional conferences. Um, and I remember Elder Oaks and his wife came to a regional conference here in Boise. And Sister Oaks got up and, and she started sharing uh, in that conference. So at the, we were at the Taco Bell Arena, this big <laughs> arena in town here where it's 30,000 people or whatever it was in the room. And, um, and she starts sharing this, this horrific thing she had done. She didn't name it, and she just, but she's very emotional and talking about how she had succumbed to this thing and it was causing her great trial and turmoil in her life and very emotionally like connected. And I remember thinking, oh, we're watching an apostle's wife like hit the bottom right now. And then she said what it was about five minutes, six, eight minutes into this talk. Mm -hmm. She starts talking about how gossip was the thing that was, that was such a horrific thing in her life. And I'm, I'm in my, my you know, teenage mind going, really? Like, seriously, gossip is the thing you're working on right now? But it's true. We get to a point in our life where we're working on smaller branches, mm -hmm. branches that don't make the tree so misshapen, right? Um, but, but I think that, that we would first recognize the biggest misshapen branches and fix those first. Yeah. Uh, I think is an important component of, of repentance and, and being chastened correctly and not feeling like God's chastening, chastening us for everything, maybe. Yeah. I sort, of, sort of see that pattern all throughout the gospel. You have to get rid of the big stuff or even include the big stuff before you can do the small stuff. Yeah. Just like with gospel learning, when missionaries are teaching investigators, you always start with the restoration, the plan of salvation, the gospel. These are big concepts. Exactly, yeah. they, they aren't just tiny little things. Right. Uh, and that's the foundation on which everything else is. If you tried to get into the tiny little stuff, yeah. uh, where is co-op? Right. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> and if you try to clip that branch first, the big branch is going to get in the way. Yeah. You, you can't get to there unless you know the gospel right. and the plan of salvation yeah. and all these yeah. foundational concepts. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the larger things always have to come before the smaller things. Yeah, yeah well said. And, and maybe um, verse 11 in chapter 12, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, mm -hmm. but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. N no pruning is comfortable. Right, you, you you go in. I, I remember we've got a little a little I don't know three year old peach tree in my front yard, and I want that thing. My wife wants that thing to have like thousands of peaches on it because we love peaches in my family, and I've got a son that it is his thing. <laughs> and we found a Henry's peach tree, and his name's Henry, so we put it in our front yard. <laughs> but this little tiny peach tree is just tiny and small, and it put it probably put fifty peaches out for us this year. But 50 peaches on that little peach tree was like dragging it to the ground. Yeah. And I remember last year looking at this peach tree that was gangly. It was growing in the, the wrong directions. And I pruned it way back. And it's not big. It's mm -hmm. this little tree. And uh, I remember my wife came out and looked at that and said, what did you do? You've killed our tree. Our little." It was in the fall and so there was no leaves on it. It was just it looked like I had just butchered it. 
But this year, at this time of year, in the fall of 2023, that little tree has borne better fruit this year, and now it is shaped correctly so that it can continue to grow correctly. Yeah. But the pruning was tough. That, that pruning was hard, and it took a year for it to even look like it's doing okay, you know? And that's us. That's, it's just yeah. us to a T, isn't it? Love that. Okay, take us one more place. We're, we're close to the end. You have done such a great job at getting us through this. Uh, uh, well, is, I guess a, a great place to end would just be chapter 13. Paul has now finished uh, his thesis on why Jesus is the Christ. And now, like I said at the beginning, he's just giving his little Pauline Proverbs. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord is my helper in verse 6. I love verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. That's an important thing to understand, that even though there is this change in uh, covenants, mm. in law uh, for them, and small things in our lives, yeah. Jesus is still the same. The root of all of that is still the same, and that's not going to change at all. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I love 7. I think the, this idea at the end of 7 um, well, all of seven. Remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Consider the end of their conversion. Verse 17 ties into that. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Uh, for they watch for your souls as, they, as that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I, I love that idea that we have prophets and apostles today, just like Paul was for these people, who rules over them, right? That, that has some authority to, to teach them the word of God, and that um, I need to be in subjection to them because they have the ultimate accounting to, to God, to, to my training, right? Yeah. And if, if, if at the end of the day, President Nelson goes to God and says, I taught him, but he didn't listen. Um, I think that is the ultimate um, request of us, that we would not only be in subjection to God, but subject ourselves uh, on our own mm -hmm. to man, yeah. to other men who, who have connections to God that I don't have. That's a very humbling thing, uh, to be willing to say, I don't have a connection that somebody else does. I can have my own personal, but, yeah. but they have a unique assignment, don't mm -hmm. they? And that they're, like in the calling of the prophet, they're specifically there to have that for everyone, yeah. uh, to have that for the whole world. And then it's up to us to say, are we going to listen to that? Or are yeah. we going to say, I don't really agree with the prophet and I yeah. don't want to listen to anything he says? Yeah, as mm -hmm. that they must give an account, right? <laughs> and that they want to do it with joy, that they want to say, yeah, everybody listened. I said it and they all did it. And what a, what a, wonderful, uh, what a wonderful way it would be if we were all a little more like that. Well, uh, Brother Danielson, this has been just a treat for me. I don't get to sit with students very often and, ha and be taught and edified. Um, I hope that your family will listen to this, uh, for, for your family to sit and listen to a full hour of you expound on what you learn when you read the scriptures um, would be, I think, a treat for them and for your parents. Your parents just must be so proud of what you're doing and, and who you've become. Yeah. I don't even think my parents know about this podcast. Oh, man, so they're good. I'll, I'll make sure to let them okay, know. Okay, good. Yeah, please do. I will if you don't. <laughs> Well, uh, you had mentioned at the, at the onset here that you are hoping someday to be a seminary and institute teacher, and, and I would encourage you to continue down that path. We've had Brother Lyons on here. He's the one that kind of helps guys get through that uh, process. But, but even if that doesn't happen for you, continue to be a, a student of the Scriptures and, and uh, searching it out. You're, you have such a great head start. I'm just so excited uh, to have you here with us. Do you have a thought, anything you'd want to share for those that uh, are listening out there as students, as uh, young people in the world? Anything you would just want to invite them to do or know? 
Um, I'd say if I was to give any invitation, just make sure that you're spending time in the scriptures every single day. Yeah. Uh, especially one thing, if you want to really know God and really know yourself and how he works in your life, look through the scriptures for all of the promised blessings that God gives us. Yeah. Uh, because you do that and you really see how God works, how he can work in your life. The things that he's promised are going to happen. And you sort of see a pattern in how he functions. Yeah. And I know that's at least helped me to understand my divine identity and my connection with my Heavenly Father. And I know that that same thing could work for anyone else. And it'll really help you get some of the most out of your scripture study that you can get. Yeah, I love that. I love that invitation, brother. Thank you. I want to have you back. Will you come back and be with us again? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you.